So following Jesus is or can seem easy when everything is going well. And really, for the disciples over the last few weeks and years and and months of their following Jesus, things have been going pretty well for them. Uh, You know, sure, they were getting some pushback, um, but lots of people were interested in hearing what Jesus and his disciples had to say. And as he's been in Jerusalem over over these past few days, there's been huge crowds coming to listen to him teach at the temple. But, but, the religious leaders were only really interested in shutting him up just as quickly as they could. Because they knew, they felt, that if they let him keep going, they were going to lose everything that they had fought so hard for. And, and actually what Jesus was saying to them directly was that that was going to happen anyway if they did not repent. And so we've followed along as Judas one of Jesus' closest followers sought to betray him to those religious leaders. And, and Jesus is walking through the middle of this knowing just exactly what is going on and just exactly what will come of it. He knows that he is going to be betrayed. He knows that he is going to his death. But before that death happens, he gives them a way to remember that death and what it means. And we we observed that together a couple of weeks ago in communion. And then last week we saw how Jesus was reminding his disciples that his kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Jesus is the greatest. He is the king over all creation. And what did he do? What did he do? He was here among them, among us, as the one who serves. He loved and served those that he loved. And if we are going to be followers of Jesus, then that is what we are called to do as well. We're going to continue the story here, and things are going to take a turn for the darker. Now, things aren't going to actually get more difficult just yet. But Jesus, in this passage, or these passages this morning, is going to be more and more insistent on preparing his disciples for the storm that is coming. It's been easy going so far, but things are going to get a lot more difficult in the days to come for his disciples. And he's going to highlight four major issues that they will encounter in these days and weeks and years to come. Uh, So we're in Luke 22 uh, in the Black Pew Bibles. Uh, It's on page 882. So Jesus begins by saying, Simon, Simon, that's Peter, um, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So Jesus is speaking to Simon Peter, one of his closest companions. And Peter's got a little bit of a, um, he's got a little bit of a brash personality. And we see this come out here uh, because 
he says, Jesus says to him, Satan has demanded that, I, that he may sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. And Peter says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. If that means I go to prison, then off to prison I go. If that means that, I go to de- that I'm going to my death, then that's where I'm going to go. He's brash. He's arrogant. He's prideful. He's so confident that he, he is clinging to Jesus through everything and with everything. And Jesus says, Peter, you're not as strong as you think you are. You do not have the capacity to do what you say you're going to do here. And in fact, before tomorrow comes, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny that you even know who I am three times. And in just a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the passage where Peter does just exactly that. Three times, somebody says, hey, you, you know Jesus, right? And he's going to say, no, I don't, I don't know anything about that. And he's going to do that because he is afraid of what will happen if he acknowledges Jesus. And that's the first thing that, that we need to be aware of here, is the fear that is going to come for these disciples as they are walking through these days. But this experience of fear is not just about Peter and his weakness, but Jesus says that Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And so Satan, the devil, one of his roles is he is the accuser of God's people. And so there's there's this sense here that Satan is taking Peter and 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 he's refining him, he's sifting him, he's saying, let's show God what you're really made of. Let's show him just how weak you are. Let's show him just how temperamental you are. Let's show him just how fearful you are. And this is essentially the same thing that happens in the beginning of the book of Job, right? That's Job's story. Satan goes before God and says, yeah, Job serves you when when you've given him everything, but you take away all his stuff. You take away his family. You take away his health, and he's going to turn his back on you. And so all of Job's trials were about Satan sifting him. Let's see what you're really made of. Let's see when things get difficult, when things get painful, when things get hard, when the fear overtakes you. Let's see what you're really made of. And so Jesus is telling Peter here to be prepared for this. And he doesn't exactly have good news for Peter, right? Because what he says to Peter here is that he's going to fail. He's going to fail. He is going to deny Jesus. But, but, he says in verse 32, when, when you have turned again. Not if you turn again, or on the chance that you turn again, but he says, when you have turned again. So it sounds like Jesus knows for sure that whatever is revealed in Peter, that sifting process is going to come up with a big fat nothing. But, but, he says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So Jesus is praying for Peter. Jesus doesn't doubt what it is that's going to happen to Peter. He doesn't doubt what the outcome is going to be. And it's not because he's sure that Peter is going to pass this test, but he knows that Peter is going to fail this test. 
But Jesus knows that Peter will come out the other side because Jesus has prayed for that to happen. Jesus is for Peter. And therefore, Peter is safe. Peter is secure, regardless of how weak, regardless of how frail, regardless of how afraid he is or will be in this case. Peter is safe because Jesus is for him. And then he says, when that happens, turn and strengthen your brothers. When I have carried you through to the other side, that's not just for you. That's for your brothers, your sisters, your fellow disciples as well. Uh, Verse 35. And Jesus said to them, when I sent you out, with no money bags or knapsacks or sandals? Did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. Uh, So way back in Luke 10, as we've been walking through the the story here in Luke, Jesus sent out his disciples. And he said to them when he sent them out to preach the good news, he said, don't take anything with you. And what he told them at the time is the people that you are ministering to will embrace you and they will provide everything that you need. And it worked, right? And that's what the disciples are testifying here too, um, is that, When he sent them out before, he said, you're not going to need anything, and they didn't need anything. But now, but now there's something that's going to shift. Something is going to be different here. So before, the people embraced the disciples. But from this point forward, what Jesus is telling them is that they are going to reject you. Up until now, even even if the people were not actually followers of Jesus, even if they didn't actually believe in him, his disciples were still afforded a certain amount of respect, but no longer, right? You are on your own. You cannot count on the help of the world around you any longer. And Jesus himself was going to be numbered among the transgressors. So those who are cast outside of the community, that um, what he's referencing here is Uh, a passage called Isaiah, um, it's in Isaiah 53, that talks about the suffering servant. And it begins in, um, well, uh, we're going to read, starting in verse 4, where it says, Surely he, that is the suffering servant, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Then a few verses later is the piece that Jesus quotes here. and It says, Therefore I will divide him, that is the suffering servant, a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. 
So Jesus is saying here that scripture will be fulfilled. I will be cut off from the people of God. I will be cast outside of the city. I will be numbered among the transgressors. I will be treated like the worst of the worst. It will be fulfilled. He will be wounded so that we can be healed. He will be rejected so that we can be accepted. That's what's going to happen here. And if that is what is happening to Jesus, if he is being numbered among the transgressors, if he is being treated as the worst of the worst, of the, as the lowest of the low, what can his disciples expect except to be treated in a similar fashion? They, they were accepted previously. They were embraced by the people. But now they are facing rejection. And the disciples misunderstand what it is that Jesus is getting at here, which we are prone to do quite often, actually. And they, they come up and they say, well, we've got two swords. And, and Jesus says, okay, yeah, great. Thank you. That's enough. That's enough. Because they aren't going to secure their place in the world by violence. Whether it's two swords, whether it's ten swords, whether it's an army of swords and spears, they are not going to have the same reception. They are not going to make the people accept them by force. But instead, they are going to be accepted by God. Not because they have fought the good fight, not because they have made space for themselves, but because Jesus was broken and rejected so that they could be healed and accepted. And he came out, it says in verse 39, and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And, we, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So Jesus is praying. He is preparing himself for what is to come. And essentially what he's doing here is he is praying to his heavenly father. And he's saying, I, I, if there was any other way, that is what I would choose. If there is any other option, that is what I would do. But this is what is required. If there was any way that this cup can pass from me, let it pass from me. But there isn't. And so he says, not my will, but yours be done. And he tells his disciples to pray, likewise, that they would not enter into temptation. Not that they wouldn't be tempted, but that they wouldn't give into that temptation. Because that is 
one of the things that they and we are going to continually face is the temptation to take the easy way out. The temptation to turn away from Jesus for what is easier, for what is more comfortable. And that's essentially what Jesus is rejecting here, right? Anything, literally anything other than going to the cross would have been better than the cross. And that is the temptation that he is dealing with here. He can make it all go away. He can throw in the towel. But he doesn't. And every single step that we walk in following after Jesus comes with the opportunity to bail. In a moment, in a moment, you can make it all go away. You can make it all stop. You don't have to deal with any of this anymore. You can live a life of self-directed, self-satisfied, self-worship and live the easy life, and live the good life in a moment. And that is the constant temptation that we face. And the fourth thing that Jesus doesn't really, uh, he doesn't tell them to beware of, but is a very real issue that the disciples face, that disciples of all time have faced, is exhaustion. Jesus doesn't warn them against this specifically, but it is real for them. And they are finally coming to grips. I think that they're finally starting to understand just what it is that Jesus is doing, just what it is that is going to be happening to him. And what does it say? They are sleeping for sorrow. They are in grief. They have spent the past hours and the past days watching this man that they love suffer, knowing, knowing what it is that he is walking into. And they have finally come to the end of their strength and finally come to the end of themselves. They are exhausted. So this is what faced the disciples as they kept vigil with Jesus. And this is what would be facing them in the hours and the days to come as Jesus faced his execution. As he was laid in the ground, they would have been faced with fear. They would have been faced with the rejection of the people. They would have been faced with the temptation to turn aside from it all. They would have been faced with the exhaustion that comes from walking that path. These four things would have continued to dog their steps in the hours and the days that were to come. But these four experiences are not unique to the disciples in this sort of Good Friday, Resurrection, Sunday time period. It would have been true of all disciples everywhere. And for that matter, these four things are are kind of part of the human existence. They're part, part of our experience as being people being human beings in a fallen world. Who hasn't felt fear at some point of what was happening around them? Fear about what was happening to them. Fear of who was going to take care of them. Who hasn't? Who hasn't felt rejected at some point? 
Who hasn't wrestled with the temptation to take the easy way out rather than doing what's right? Who has just given up in exhaustion rather than persevering? Every single one of us comes to the end of ourselves at some point. That point where we cannot go on. That point where the, we hit that wall that we cannot break through. And if we are to believe what it is that the Bible says is true, then there is coming a day at some point, a day of judgment, a day where our failure, our sin, our twisted views of ourselves and the, work, and the way that we view the world will be laid bare. And we will have to answer for each careless word and each thoughtless action. And if we're understanding who we are and who God is correctly, then in our sinful, fallen condition, that should produce fear. That will produce rejection. Because if we're honest with ourselves, who's going to love us on that day? Who could persevere through that day? How could we endure that day? How can we endure any of those times that push the limits of who we are? But the answer is right here. How were the disciples going to endure what was facing them? The disciples would endure through these days because Jesus was for them. what, What was it that was going to sustain Peter in the face of his fear? What carried him through? It wasn't his strength. It wasn't his theology. Jesus was carried through in the face of his fear because Jesus was for him. Jesus was praying for him. You don't overcome the fear inside of you by digging deeper inside of you, but you grow from fear into peace by looking at Christ, by looking to his cross, by looking at the empty tomb. Because if Jesus died and rose again, and I placed my faith in him, then I don't need to be afraid of any of this. It is his love that casts out fear, leaving us in perfect peace. John writes in 1 John 4 that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, that is Jesus, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, he continues, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. But we love because he first loved us. What would carry his disciples through the rejection of the world? Their friends, their family, their people, their religion, their country. All of them would reject his disciples. But what would carry them through? because of what Jesus did on the cross, they were accepted not by the people around them, but they were accepted by God. And that was what would carry them through the rejection of their people. This is what Paul is writing about in Ephesians 1. Um, when he says that God chose, he, that is God, chose us, that is his the disciples, the believers, Christians, even as God chose us in Christ 
before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We are chosen in Christ. We are accepted in Christ. And that is what would carry the disciples through being rejected by the world around them, is the fact that they were accepted, they were loved, they were embraced by their Heavenly Father. What would carry them through the temptation to turn aside, to walk away from Jesus? Well, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we are set free from the shackles of sin. We are set free from the need to obey that sinful desire to turn aside. It says in Hebrews 2, that Christ had to be made like his brothers, that's us, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, that is to pay for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so Christ has overcome here in the garden, all the way through the last moment of his breath. He has overcome the temptation that we are faced with to turn aside. The temptation to take the easy way out. The temptation to do what is expedient rather than what is right. He is the one who carries us through that temptation and lands us in a place where we are content. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Not what I want for me, but what you want for me. And exhaustion gives way to endurance. So because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are not limited by our own strength, but we are carried along by his strength. So do you want the secret? Do you want the secret to successfully living the Christian life? Do you want to know how to find peace in the face of fear? To find acceptance in the face of rejection? To find contentment in temptation and endurance in the face of exhaustion? Here's the secret. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And this is how we do it. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. That is the secret, he says. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. The one who carried the disciples through the fear. The one who carried the disciples through their rejection. The one who carried the disciples through their temptation and their exhaustion. We don't need tips and tricks. We don't need something new, but what we need is to be continually reminding ourselves, continually reminding each other that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. He has overcome our failures. He has overcome our fear, our temptation, and our exhaustion. He is the one who has overcome all of these things. And so we must keep our eyes continually and always fixed upon him. And if we do that, 
Paul writes in Romans 6. If we are united with him in a death like his, then we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's why we reenact. That, that is what we reenact. That is what we proclaim in our baptism. Right? The, my hope, my faith, the security of my life is not mine anymore. I have died with Christ and been buried with him in those waters of baptism. And I have been raised to new life in him. We don't need something new, but we need to be reminding ourselves that Christ has already overcome. And if then, Paul writes in Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth. For you have died. There's that that baptism picture again. For you have died, and your life, your life, your world, your safety, your peace, your acceptance, your contentment, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, <coughs> excuse me, then you will also appear with him in glory. Your life isn't found in getting braver so that you can overcome your fears. Your life isn't found in becoming more charming and charismatic so that more people accept you and embrace you. Your life isn't found in becoming stronger so that you can overcome temptation, so that you can overcome exhaustion. But your only hope in life and in death is that you are one with Christ. You have died with him. You have been raised to a new life in him. And one day, on the day that he returns, you will appear with him in glory. Your life, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And the more we can talk about that, the more we can dwell on that, the more we can internalize that, the more peace-filled, the more enduring we will be. There's no trick. There's no ten steps. There's no, there's no easy way. But we must dwell on that fact that our life That our life is not ours. Our life is not what we can make it, but our life is hidden with Christ in God. And so we must keep our eyes firmly fixed upon him. And that's not easy. That's not easy. If you remember the story of Peter, 
walking on the water. Right? As long as he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus, he could do anything. But as soon as he became distracted by the waves and the wind and the storm that was raging around him, as soon as he took, what did he do? He started looking at those things. He started fearing those things. He took his eyes off of Jesus and started believing that the storm had a greater ability to impact his life than Jesus did. He took his eyes off Jesus and he sank. So friends, as we come here together each Sunday, remind one another to keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus. When you see one another in the grocery store, when you go over to dinner to somebody's house, keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus. Because if Jesus is true, if he is praying for you, if he is sustaining you, if he has bought your acceptance before God, what do we have to worry about? What do we have to be afraid of? What do we have to fear? Absolutely nothing. But if, if this morning you have not believed in him, you have not placed your faith in him, friends, I need to tell you that that day is coming, that you too will one day be sifted like wheat. You will be weighed, you will be measured, and you will be found wanting. What's your hope in that day? When life grinds you up, down to the smallest component of who you are. What are you? You're dust. You're a vapor. It is here today and gone tomorrow. What is your hope in that day? Because the hope of the believer is that Jesus died and rose again. And, and if we are united to him in faith, if we are one with him, then our lives, the essence of who we are, Everything important about who we are is hidden with Christ in God, and it cannot be destroyed. Cannot be found wanting. Cannot come up short, because Christ cannot come up short. Let's pray together. Lord, we are like the disciples in these passages. We are weak. We are frail. We have a faith that is insufficient. But Lord, we know that it's not the strength of our faith that will save us, Lord. But rather, it is the fact that our faith is in Jesus. Lord, we believe that he is interceding for us. Lord, we believe that he has stood as the substitute for us. Lord, we believe in him. We believe in his death and in his resurrection. We believe that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead and to bring heaven and earth together. And Lord, we pray that you would keep us.
Father, protect us. Not our lives, not merely our physical bodies, but Lord, guard our hearts, guard our faith. Give us a faith that sees us through until that day when our faith shall be sight. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, the King who is coming again, that we pray all of these things. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close this morning? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Join us as we sing that in closing this morning. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace. Mm -hmm.